the last time I was able to uh, come and share with you was back in May, and uh, if you weren't here that Sunday, we spoke on uh, worship, and specifically living out a lifestyle of worship, how worship is not simply just something that we do in here, like what we just did for the last 20 minutes, but it's something that follows us into every area and space of our lives, because if we know Jesus, if we have a relationship with Jesus, then the Holy Spirit goes with us to every space that we occupy, which means that we ought to be living a lifestyle of worship every single place that we are. Today, we're going to use that talk as kind of a springboard and jump into a little bit of a new idea, which is praise. Praise and worship are, granted, very, very similar. And if you're like me, um, you probably grew up thinking that they were pretty much the same thing. They were just different volumes of the same thing. Worship is like a quieter, more like kind of worship. And praise is way more like, you know, clapping and cheering and, and loudness. Um, I, I can see why people would think that, but it's not necessarily the case. Last time we talked, we talked about uh, worship and our definition of it um, was that worship is any informed response to who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. Today we're going to be talking about praise. And praise is the outward expression of faith-informed feelings. The outward expression of faith-informed feelings. It's a much shorter definition that we're going to be using this morning. Also, if you look this word up in the dictionary, that won't be the definition. I made that one up. Um, just specifically for our talks today, uh, in light of what we're going to be speaking on. So before we get too much further into this, we're going to read our scripture for today, which is Luke chapter 19, verses 36 through 40. Luke chapter 19, verses 36 through 40. If you did not bring a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you, or you feel free to read it on the Sky Bible behind me. Here we go. Verse 36. Jesus is entering into uh, Jerusalem here at the very beginning of Holy Week. Verse 36, and they brought it to Jesus, that being the donkey, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. We live in a world of praise. Let's just get that right out there before we get too much further into this. We live in a world of praise. God created the world to be a world of praise. But because we are sinful human beings on a lifelong effort to remake the world in our image instead of God's, we have decided to give our praise that God designed for us to give him and give it away to other things. We are excellent at praise. We are poor at praising God. How many of you in this room, by show of hands, have an Instagram account? Okay. How many of you have a Twitter account? How many have a Facebook account? Aha, that's what I thought. How many of you uh, watch ESPN? How many of you watch the news? How many of you read Rotten Tomato reviews before you go see movies? I'm a stickler. I got to read them. I got to know if the movie's going to be good. How many of you, you uh, read Yelp reviews before you go to a restaurant? 
Okay, a few more. All of these are platforms that our world has created as a means to share praise about stuff and people. The news is basically existing these days to either assassinate people's character or lift it up. There's virtually no in-between point. The, the way that we post things on social media, we have a new baby in the family, we take pictures of it, and we put it out on the internet because we think that the baby itself is praiseworthy to send to other people. Don't mishear me this morning. That in and of itself is not a sinful thing to do, and it's not a wrong thing to do. What I'm saying is that we have taken praise, and we've decided to give it away to as much stuff as we possibly can, almost as a distraction from giving it to the one that designed us to be that way. So why is it harder for us to praise God than it is to praise things and people? I think it's just because things and people feel more tangible to us than the person and presence of Jesus. I think we could all admit, if we were being honest, that on our toughest day, on our roughest day, it's kind of hard to believe that Jesus is really there and that Jesus really cares for you. I can admit that. I think that's the case for all of us. But things and people are a phone call away or they're an Amazon click away. And it's easy to praise those things and just give all of that praise away to things that don't always deserve it. Praise is the outward expression or an overflow of inward faith-informed feelings. But what happens when we don't have an overflow of the feelings that bring us to praise? What happens when we don't have joy? What happens when we don't have love or thankfulness or reverence? Or worse, what happens if we don't feel them at all? Not only do we not have an overflow, but we just don't even have those feelings at all. This is when praise becomes a sacrifice. This is when praise becomes a sacrifice. We do not believe the truth about Jesus all of the time. And so when we come into spaces where we don't feel like praising, that is when it becomes a sacrifice. You may have heard the phrase, a sacrifice of praise, at times throughout your tenure at church, unless today's your very first day. Welcome to Centerville Community Church. We're glad that you're here. But if you've been going to church for a while, you may have heard the phrase, a sacrifice of praise before. And those are just kind of really churchy words, and sometimes they may not mean anything to you. But I will say this. Praise is a sacrifice because it goes a step beyond convenience. Praise is a, is a sacrifice because it goes a step beyond convenience, beyond what you just feel like doing. Some people choose not to praise God because it's just not their thing. Or uh, they don't believe the words in the songs that they're singing that day, or because they believe that they're not good at singing and anything worth doing is only worth doing well, or they don't feel anything when they do it. I've had several conversations with people over the years, whether at school or whether at different churches, where people say like, well, you know, you do, you do your thing, Anson, you've got the whole like, you know, you like music, the creative thing, like praises for you. I'm a more analytical kind of person. I just don't really connect with God in that way. You can have that I'll just stand here and not participate. I understand why some people could think that, but sometimes it turns into a weird kind of uh, self-righteous thing where we're like, I don't believe the words in the songs that I'm singing today. I don't really feel that, so I'm not going to participate because that's not where my heart is. And if I put my heart into those words, even though I don't mean it, that would be a lie. And we're kind of like, nice, worked my way out of that one. Can I tell you this morning, God is not impressed with our ability to not participate in systems that he designed for us to give him praise. He's not watching us like, 
didn't think of that one. That's nice. You worked your way out of that. God has set us up as human beings and designed us specifically so that we are constantly yearning for the one that created us. But pride and sin comes into our lives and makes us divert that praise away to just stuff and people. And in an answer or response to the notion that praise is not something that we, you know, we just don't feel anything when we sing, or we're just not really feeling it that day, or we don't really have an emotional response, can I say, praise is not something we do to get anything out of it. It is an offering that we give to Jesus. Praise is not something we do to get anything. It is something we do to give. This is like if it was Christmas time and you were buying up a bunch of presents so that you could give them to people, but you didn't really care about the people. You didn't really love them. You just wanted that like mm, feeling that when you give presents to people and you're just like, I'm the best. I gave away all these presents. I'm awesome. We need to get away from this transactional religious mindset that says that if I do this, God will give me something for my effort. Or, better yet, if I do something I don't want to do, God will give me something for my effort. Isn't this the way that we are a lot of the time? We sit there and we hear pastors or preachers or people on podcasts saying that reading your Bible is important and you should have a daily devotional time where you're reading the Bible and connecting with God in that way. And if you're being honest with yourself, you're sitting there thinking, I I don't really want to do that. That's just not something I want to spend my free time doing. But you decide to commit yourself to doing it because maybe secretly underneath all of that, you kind of hope like, all right, well, maybe God will recognize that I'm doing something I don't like doing and he'll give me some extra blessings because, you know, I don't have to be doing this, but I'm spending my time doing it, so God better recognize, right? This is not the way that our praise works. We forfeit a relationship with a father that loves us unconditionally for a religious system of rules that says if I do A, B, and C, God will give me X, Y, and Z. That is not the way that our God is. That is not the way that it functions. Our praise works in such a way that we take everything going on in our life, all the pain, all the heartache, the frustration, the annoyance, the good things and the bad, and we put them all up on an altar and we say, God, this is my offering. This is all I have to give. This is all of me right now. And that's all God asks of us, that we cast our burdens on him because he cares for us. The way that we get so twisted around and the way back to what Jesus is calling us to as life as living lives of praise, is when we put Jesus back at the center. A couple of weeks ago, Kedrick unveiled what our new values were going to be as a church, and this is our number one value, Jesus at the center. Everything we do is going to be motivated by following Jesus and his example. He is the basis for everything we want to be and why we want to do things. We believe that anything worth doing is only worth doing if Jesus is in the middle of it. If we're just doing things because we feel like it, if we're just doing things because we used to, if we're just doing things because we see other churches doing it and we say, we should do that too, that's not a good enough reason. That's not a good enough reason to do it. When we take Jesus away from the center of what's going on in our hearts and lives, our praise starts to become about stuff. Our praise starts to become about things and people. It stops being about Jesus. And can I just say for a moment, this, all of this up here, the stage, lights, 
speakers, pastors, messages, songs, the keys that the songs are in, pews, chairs, carpet, paint on the walls, all these things are not things that were there when Jesus gave the church to the disciples. These are things that we've brought into God's space to do here. And hear me, I'm not saying that this is all sinful and this is all wrong, but we have to take a little bit of responsibility, all right? If we're going to bring this stuff into God's space, we need to steward it well. We cannot bring these things into God's space and then suddenly look over one day and we see that Jesus is edged out to the outside and now our church or our praise is about the stuff. That is the kind of spirit that was fostered in me for years when I would go to chapel at Cedarville University and they would start singing the songs and I'd be like, this song, I, I don't like this song. And then I would just check out. I had forfeited an opportunity to give praise that God designed me to give him because I just didn't like this song. It's not a good enough excuse. Praise can only happen when we put Jesus first where he belongs. Jesus grows our faith by giving us opportunities to praise. Some of us in here this morning might be thinking, all right, Anson, that's all well and good, but what's even the point at all? Academia and learning things is very tangible and easy because we do it for so long in our lives, but we don't go to like a school of singing for a really long time. We do go to school where we sit and you listen to someone talk at you for a long time, but we're out of step a little bit with the practice of coming into a space as a congregation and just being our full selves before the Lord. And being there not to listen to the music that's happening on the stage, but to participate in the experience of what's happening in the room. You are not the audience for what's happening on this stage. God is. And as far as I'm concerned, that's as much part of this stage as this. This is not elevated for importance. It is elevated for visibility only. All of us in this room participate in worship experiences where we lift up praise to Jesus, and he receives it. If Jesus were to show up in this room right now, if he were to just, bam, he's right here next to me on stage, we would fall down to the ground, faces to the floor, and we would praise him as our God. But it would not be a decision made by faith anymore. It would not be a decision made by faith anymore. Because once he was here physically and we could see and touch him and speak to him, our faith would cease to exist, and we would have absolute certainty. But while Jesus is not here physically, we can't see him, we have to have faith that the words that we are singing aren't just words that are hitting the ceiling and going nowhere else. God does us a favor by not showing up physically in the room when we are worshiping because he wants to give us those opportunities to grow our faith by participating in worship experiences where we lift up praise and have the things that we believe about God become real for us in our hearts. God grows our faith by giving us opportunities to praise. And can I also say, praising God when you don't feel like it isn't fake. It's faith. For a long time, I was in a place where I did not participate in worship experiences. I did not participate in lifting up praise to God because I felt that I didn't mean it at the given moment. If your master plan for getting out of a problem in your heart 
if my master plan for getting out of the problem in my heart when I just didn't feel like worshiping is to do nothing and expect something to change, newsflash, it won't change. You won't just sit there in a praise experience or in a time with the congregation and not feel like worshiping and then just sit there doing nothing and then eventually, shazam, now you feel like doing it. That's not how it works. We have to make the step back to Jesus. We have to take the step to put Jesus back at the center. And even though we may have good intentions and it may feel like we're in the right, if I feel as though I am in the right and I'm being presented with an opportunity to praise and then all my reasons for not doing it have everything to do with me and the way that I feel about things and they don't have anything to do with Jesus, there it is, right there. It is a spotlight onto my heart that shows that I am the one with the problem and I am the one that needs to change. I am the one with the problem and I am the one that needs to change. The same is true of all of us. Praising when you don't feel like it isn't fake, it's faith. Praising in the middle of pain and praising in the middle of heartache, praising in the middle of loss, praising in the middle of confusion and frustration and anger is an opportunity that we only get this side of heaven. We need to take advantage of it because that is an offering that we don't get to give Jesus in heaven where there is no memory of sin or pain or hurt or loss. Jesus gives us these opportunities to grow our faith so that even when we don't understand, even when it hurts, we can lift up songs of praise and Jesus can receive them. If you're waiting to understand why things are happening in your life before you can praise God, you're going to be waiting a long time. If you're waiting for all the boxes to be checked and everything to be perfect before you praise God, you're going to be waiting a long time. So how do we improve our praise? I've kind of just like pointed out a bunch of problems and said a lot of stuff that makes us feel kind of meh. So how do we improve our praise? Well, I think that we can look at three biblical steps. And mind you, these are not exhaustive. These are not the only steps. Please hear me. I have not cracked the code on perfect praise or anything like that. These are just three things that I see in scripture that we're going to take a look at today. Number one, we need to believe what we know. We need to believe what we know. Information has to turn to revelation before we can praise. There's a lot of people out there that know a lot of things about the Bible. They know a lot of things about the person and life of Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. They claim that they don't believe in Jesus. There are biblical scholars and theologians all over the planet that study the Bible and know more about it than I probably ever will in this life, and yet they don't know Jesus. Knowing things about the person we worship only serves to help us answer questions about them to the best of our knowledge. But information works like this. If you're a person that loves to watch boxing matches, how many of you do like pay-per-view boxing matches or MMA or anything like that? Okay, one person... We'll talk to you after church and get your head straight. Um, all right, if there's people that are, exist in the world, only one in here for some reason, that like to watch boxing matches and MMA fights, and you can watch it till the cows come home. You can know everything about the fighters, everything about their weight class, their fighting style, all these different kinds of things. You can watch it for years, and you can know a lot about it. And after a little while, we start to think like, well, you know, maybe, like, I, I think I probably have the know-how to at least compete in a fight. Like, I don't have the physicality to compete in a fight, let's be real. But, like, after a while, it's like, maybe I kind of have the know-how. All that information 
becomes revelation the moment you get punched in the face for the first time. Because all that information does is make you think that you know things. But when information meets experience, that's when revelation happens. We get information from God's word that we read, and when that information meets with experience, revelation happens. We need to believe what we know about Jesus before we can praise. Let's take a look at Mark 10. Jesus is, uh, is walking down the road outside of Jericho. We'll pick it up in 46. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Bartimaeus knew at least some information about Jesus, that when he heard that he was coming by, he starts calling out to him, even naming him son of David. But all that information met with experience the moment Jesus called him to come over. And he jumped up. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to see. And because he had the faith to call out to Jesus, he's healed. And he follows Jesus down the road. We need to believe what we know. Number two, we need to be honest about how we feel. We need to be honest about how we feel. This is the part of the show where people would normally jump down my throat And they'd be like, Anson, but feelings and emotions, they're so, you know, we can't really count on them. They're so fleeting and they're changing all the time. Emotions can't really be that big of a part of our our time, you know, our experience with Jesus, are they? To be fair, we're emotional beings, some of us more than others, and it's tough to count and bank on your emotions. But we cannot turn our emotions off. We need to get to a place where we are aware of them, where we're honest about how we feel, so that we can start managing those in our relationship with Jesus. As I said before, casting our burdens on Jesus because he cares for us. We can't have these things going on in our lives that are chirping at the back of our minds when we come into a worship experience and we can't really participate in it because we're so distracted with the way that we're feeling. That is the perfect time to deal with the way that you're feeling. To say, Jesus, I feel angry right now. Jesus, I feel frustrated right now. Jesus, I feel anxious I feel worried right now. Jesus wants us to come to him in that way so that he can help us work through those feelings. Times of praise are the perfect experiences to do that. We need to be honest about how we feel. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 5 and pick it up in verse 25. There's a woman who was in a crowd, and she had had a wound that would not heal, and it kept bleeding for years and years. And she follows Jesus in the ground and touches his robe. In verse 25, and immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And then Jesus starts looking around, and he's like, who touched my robe? And everyone's like, are you kidding? There's tons of people here. Everyone's touched your robe. And then finally, the woman realizes that he's talking about her. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Because she had the faith in her heart to walk through that crowd, to touch Jesus' robe, because she believed that just one touch could change everything. 
and because she was still feeling that pain. She had been to doctors for years and years. She had spent all her money, and it had only gotten worse. Had she numbed herself to the pain that she was feeling, it would not have been absolutely necessary for her to push her way through this crowd and touch Jesus' robe. We need to be honest about the way that we're feeling. If we're feeling pain, feel it. If you're feeling sad, feel it. If you're feeling frustrated, feel it. Don't pretend like you don't feel the way that you do because we cannot begin to work through those feelings with God otherwise. Our feelings cannot begin to be faith-informed rather than just feelings and emotions. Number three, we need to respond to what we see. We need to respond to what we see. We need to see who Jesus really is before we can praise. And then once we see it, we need to respond. In Luke chapter 17, we see a story where Jesus comes across ten guys who are living outside of a village because they have leprosy. And as, as he entered the village there, verse 12, as he entered the village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Ten guys start out in this story and have leprosy. Ten. Nine of them are healed, same as the one. But they don't turn back around and go back to Jesus and give him praise. And we can kind of read this and be like, eh, you know, like those silly guys. I would be the one person that went back and gave Jesus praise. Would you? Would you be that guy? This is what we do all the time. We experience the blessings and the goodness of God. And yet, instead of turning back around and thanking God and giving him praise for all that he has done and all that he is, we just continue on in our life. And we ride that high of a feeling into the next good thing. And we just jump from emotional highs and lows all over the place without ever really coming back and putting Jesus at the center of what's going on in our lives to look at the things that God does for us and to give him praise for it. We need to believe what we know. We need to be honest about how we feel. And we need to respond to what we see. Let's go back to Luke 19 for a moment. Pick it up in verse 37. And he was drawing near Jesus on the colt, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives. And the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works that they had seen. Keep that in mind. For all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. These people that are walking down the road 
with Jesus are called his disciples in the story. We know that Jesus had 12 disciples. We know their names. But there is also a great number of other people that follow Jesus around everywhere that he goes. And it seems in this story that they're the ones laying their coats down on the road and palm branches down on the road. And they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, which is basically a value judgment on the person of Jesus. They're saying, in a few more words than this, that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. These people knew that a Messiah was promised. That was information that they knew. And in this moment, experience was meeting with that information, and they had the revelation that Jesus was this person that they were waiting for. They felt desperate to be saved by their Messiah from the Romans. They shouted this word, Hosanna, which means save now. Save us now. Here, at the beginning of Passover week, while they are celebrating being saved, they're looking at a man and saying, save us now. And they had seen him perform miracles and teach among the people. These people in this moment are believing what they know. They're being honest about how they feel, and they're responding to what we see. And some of you who know this story might be thinking right now, but Anson, in five days, these people are going to put Jesus to death on a cross. And you would be right. You would be right. At the end of this week, when Jesus is riding into town, he's going to be put to death on a cross in between two criminals for crimes that he did not commit. But this does not disqualify the worship and the praise that they are giving Jesus in this moment. Because the Pharisees say, Jesus, tell your disciples to stop saying that, because in their view it was blasphemy. And Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus accepts their worship, regardless of how he knows the story is going to end. And it's easy for us to look at this and say, like, well, I can't really relate. I would never, you know, one day be praising Jesus and then the other day be putting him to death and calling for his death in an angry mob of people. But wouldn't we? This is what it looks like to have a God that loves us unconditionally. This is what it looks like to have a Jesus that loves us unconditionally. Because even though he knows that here in this moment, this morning, while we're praising him, that we mean it, he knows that in a couple hours from now, in a couple days from now, in a couple weeks from now, we'll fall again. And we'll be right back to where we were. But he doesn't leave us there. He accepts that praise anyway. He accepts the praise in this moment because of either one or two things. Either Jesus is not just a good man and a prophet, as some people would claim, because he, he accepts people's worship in this moment, which means that he either has to be God or he is not a good man. It can't be in between. He accepts their worship, I believe, because Jesus is the embodiment of God here on earth come to live with us. These people believed what they knew. They were being honest about how they felt, and they had seen him perform miracles and were responding to it for that in this moment. If we don't fulfill our calling as the pinnacle of all creation, made in the image of God and given the breath of God to praise him, 
then apparently the rest of creation is ready to step up and take our place. So much so that rocks would apparently begin to cry out. When I was in college, and I'll be wrapping up here shortly, when I was in college, we went on a, on a spring break trip out west, and I grew up in Indiana, um, which is the Midwest, and Indiana doesn't really have a whole lot going on in terms of uh, geographical excitement, I guess you could say. There's a lot of cornfields and a lot of uh, roads and not a whole lot else going on. Um, I liked growing up there personally, but it's not the most exciting thing to look at. Um, but I was really excited to head out to Colorado to see mountains for the first time. And I had been out east before and seen the Smoky Mountains, uh, but the Smoky Mountains are more just kind of like big hills uh, with like trees on them and stuff. Sorry if you're partial to the eastern mountains, but that's just the way I felt when I saw them. I was ready to go out and see some real mountains. And I remember being in the car, seeing them for the first time from really far away. And I thought, wow, like even from so far away, they're so big. And to give you a little bit of an idea about how big Colorado is, you see the mountains like decently early when you get into the state, and then you drive for hours and they get no bigger. <laughs> it's just, it's so big out there. And I remember a couple of days into the trip, we went out to Pikes Peak, which is one of the highest peaks in the United States. It's uh, like over 14,000 feet high, and we were going to drive up to the top of it, which if you're trying to get into summiting mountains, I highly recommend as the way to do it. Way easier than climbing. You should definitely just drive to the top if you can. And, uh, and we drove up to the top of Pikes Peak. And it took about an hour and a half from the bottom of the mountain to get all the way up to the summit. It was a long time in the car. But when we finally got to the top, we put on all of our warm clothes because they said it would be cold at the top. And they said it would be very windy. And I remember I was sitting in the front passenger seat and I opened my door and my door almost ripped off of the car because the wind was so strong. And I remember I stepped out and it was so much colder than it was down on the ground. And I was trying to catch my breath, but the wind was so strong, it was just stealing my breath away. And I was just trying to breathe. And then eventually I got acclimated to the environment up there and I looked out and I saw that. And I took so many pictures while I was up there and a lot of the pictures have little blurry spots in the picture because the wind was blowing so hard I couldn't hold my phone still while I was taking the picture. And when you press on the live photo, you can hear the audio of what it sounded like when I took that picture. And it's just going because the wind is so strong. It was unlike anywhere I had been up to that point in my life. Seeing that, and that doesn't even do it a percent of justice for how it actually looked. But seeing that, I realized that everything that everyone had ever told me about what a mountain would be like paled in comparison to what it actually was. I had heard about mountains before, people that have climbed them. I've seen them in movies, read about them in magazines, heard about them from firsthand experience. You hear a lot about something like that, but it's not very often you get to see it for yourself. And I went and I saw it for myself and I realized that none of that, none of what anyone had ever told me was good enough to show me that. This is what our life of praise is. This is what a life following Jesus looks like. We cannot go for years listening to other people tell us about what Jesus is like. I'm not a good enough communicator. Neither is Pastor Kedrick. Neither is any other person in the whole world 
I'm trying to explain to you what this mountain was like, and I had that picture. That picture's not good enough, and my explanation isn't good enough. You would have to see it for yourself to know what I was talking about. The same is true of Jesus. I can't tell you what it's like to follow Jesus and to know him very well and have you understand it completely. You have to find out for yourself. And the truth is that that mountaintop had been waiting for there for me for my whole life. It didn't go anywhere. It's not going anywhere. It was just waiting there for me to find it. That's who Jesus is for us. He's waiting for you to come find him. If you claim to be a Jesus follower this morning, this could be you. I claimed to know Jesus for years in my life before I had the mountaintop experience of seeing him for real and have everything that I knew about Jesus become real, to believe what I knew, to be honest about the way that I was feeling in my life in that season and to respond to what I saw. This morning, we're gonna pray in a moment. We're gonna participate in communion which is one of the the most intimate acts of praise that we can participate in. And while you're going through your prayer time and why we're going through this whole experience, I invite you to do that business with Jesus. To say, Jesus, I've got things going on in my heart. It's tough for me to honestly feel like I want to worship and praise when I come into this room, but I wanna give you everything that's going on in my heart because I want to see that mountaintop for myself. I'm tired of listening to other people tell me about it. I want to see it for myself. I'm tired of listening to songs sing about it. I need to see it for myself. Because the reality is when you see it for yourself, the Holy Spirit begins to grow in you fruit that looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These things, when they are in overflow, is what happens when we praise the outward expression of faith-informed feelings. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to come before you in this moment and be our full self. God, we don't want to hide who we are. We don't want to feel like all of this is fake or for show. God, we need you. God, we need your presence. We need to see you. God, we need to be honest about the way that we feel with you. God, we need to believe what we know about you. Jesus, come be real to us in this moment. It's in your name we pray. Amen.